Welcome to Regenerative Medicine. This is Tom Murphy. It's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast two gentlemen who are involved in some pioneering engineering and science related to respiratory protection. We have at our guest, Dr. Bill Fetterspill. Dr. Fetterspill is a professor of engineering at the Swanson School of Engineering, University of Pittsburgh. He's also the director of the Gahan Institute of Medical Devices Lab. We also have Mr. Peter Dacoma, who is chairman and CEO of Avon Technologies. Let me begin this discussion asking Dr. Fetterspill to say a few words about his technology, how it began in the academic laboratory, and how it will then progress through the commercial aspects of this discussion. Dr. Sure. Fetterspill. Well, the hemolung had its roots in my laboratory. We called it by a different name. But uh, it started when we formed A-Lung Technologies and put together a medical advisory board. One of the things that we first recognized by talking to the medical advisory board is that one of the most significant patient populations out there in terms of respiratory failure are patients that have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and that have an acute exacerbation of that disease, which then ends up putting them in intensive care units and typically they go on ventilators at some point and the mortality on ventilators is significant. So it's, it's not an ideal treatment for these patients. They indicated there was a device out there that could be relatively non-invasive and be effective at removing carbon dioxide didn't even need to be too effective at oxygenation, but removing CO2 was the important part. They thought that that device could have a significant clinical impact. So we started working in the lab on the very first prototype of the hemolung device. Our basic requirements is that we wanted to be able to support about one-third or one-half of the removal of carbon dioxide. That's produced metabolically in a device that's relatively non-invasive. So we decided to try to create a device that would be like hemodialysis for kidney failure, which is used routinely in the ICU, and the ICU doctors are comfortable implementing it and running those systems. So we decided we wanted to make something similar for carbon dioxide removal. And that meant working at dialysis-like flow rates, which now A-Lung refers to the hemolung device as a respiratory dialysis device for those very same reasons. At that point, A-Lung was in a position where they were very interested and ready to take on this device. So we spun it out of the laboratory in, I believe, 2006 or 2007, and they took over the formal product development and did the manufacturing under GMP conditions needed for regulatory approval and took it to the market. So thank you, Dr. Pettersville. So there's two parts to the story of the pause. One, the normal progression of this technology in terms of just respiratory failure. The second part of the story, of course, relates to COVID. We'll get to COVID in a moment, but Mr. Nakomo, can you tell us a little bit about how you picked up from technology Dr. Fetterspiel handed to you? As Phil said, the commercial development of the hemolung began in around 2005 at A-Lung, and 
I joined Along in late 2009 after departing my prior company, which was also an extracorporeal device company. I do, I just want to make a comment. I do have a great appreciation for what Bill just said in terms of the clinical benefit of removing carbon dioxide, especially in patients that have CO2 retention, such as those with COPD. In my early career, I, I was a critical care respiratory therapist working at UPMC Presby in the intensive care unit and working with COPD patients that at that time had no alternatives and were basically intubated, sedated, put on a mechanical ventilator, and then had a horrific experience and uh, the difficulty of getting them off of a ventilator once they become dependent is a significant task for intensivist respiratory therapists and the critical care nurses that treat these patients. So Again, I have a great appreciation for what extracorporeal carbon dioxide removal can do for these patients in the clinical environment. ALUNG worked hard from 2005 through 2010 to bring this technology to preparation for commercial use. We actually put our first patient on the device in 2010 and began a clinical trial in Europe that ultimately led to CE Mark in Europe and approval in other countries outside the United States. We're currently approved in 35 countries outside of the United States. However, we're not commercializing in those countries at the present time. What we're focused on is developing clinical data that supports the safety and the efficacy of the device for approval in the United States. We just concluded a very large clinical trial in the United Kingdom that was focused on acute respiratory distress syndrome, a little bit of a different disorder than COPD, but yet something that the hemolung can be very beneficial in terms of treating. We treated 412 patients in that trial with 50% of those patients being randomized to the hemolung arm and over that period of time of treating 204 patients on the hemolung, the safety profile of the device was excellent, and the efficacy data will be reported at the end of 2020, early 2021. Concurrent with that, we've been working with the FDA over a number of years to conduct a large randomized pivotal trial in the United States leading to approval of the device for use in patients with COPD with the objective of either eliminating the need for the mechanical ventilator or minimizing the need for the mechanical ventilator. And we're about 50% of the way through that clinical trial. However, COVID-19 has had an impact on all clinical trials in the United States. Basically, clinical trial work has been suspended as these academic medical centers deal with the COVID-19 population. But our centers are coming back online now, and we anticipate that they'll start to screen and enroll patients very soon so that we can conclude that trial with the FDA and have approval to commercialize the device in the United States for purposes of treating COPD patients. So that's an interesting summary of a very promising story. But let's go to COVID-19 specifically. I understand your technology is now being used on a limited basis for some COVID-19 patients. Yes, that's, that's correct, John. When our clinical trials were suspended, we knew that the hemolung could have benefit for 
treating patients with COVID-19, primarily because COVID-19 manifests itself very similar to ARDS, acute respiratory distress syndrome. Clearly, there are some differences because of the impact that the virus has on the lungs with COVID-19, but for the most part, what we're trying to do with COVID-19 patients and patients that have ARDS is protect the lungs while they're on the mechanical device because one of the adverse events associated with invasive mechanical ventilation is that the high pressures that it takes to inflate the lungs when the lungs become stiff due to the viral infection following a significant inflammatory response is that these high pressures cause what's referred to as ventilator-induced lung injury. And they need to ventilate these patients with high volumes and high pressures in order to eliminate the carbon dioxide that's produced by the body. But yet they have to use these high pressures, which can further damage the lungs. So where the hemolung comes in is that we use it to remove carbon dioxide extraterritorially. In other words, removing the carbon dioxide directly from the blood which then enables the clinician to reduce the breath volume, the breath frequency, and the associated driving pressure from the mechanical ventilator. And then this can mitigate the effects of ventilator-induced lung injury, either eliminating them or further not causing further inflammation of the lungs. And so we went to the FDA and we requested what they refer to as emergency use authorization which is basically a clearance from the FDA to treat COVID-19 patients. We did receive that, and we began to treat COVID-19 patients immediately. The patients that are ideally suited for the hemolung, of course, are those COVID-19 patients that are manifesting with carbon dioxide retention and need those ventilator pressures reduced. And so to date, we've treated 16 COVID-19 patients the majority of them here in the United States, but we've also treated a number of COVID-19 patients in the UK and Ireland. We just issued our first case report from the first patient we treated at LSU. We treated that patient very successfully. That patient was just discharged last week and is home and, and recovering and but doing well. And we've seen good results in terms of CO2 removal across all of these 16 COVID-19 patients that we've treated. That's very exciting. Interesting technology that has found a new use and a very promising use of that. Dr. Fettersville, I understand you have a new version of the technology that relates to this particular subject. Can you share a little bit about that with us? Sure. After we spun the early version of the hemolung device out to A-lung technologies, I started getting interested in developing a more portable artificial lung, a wearable artificial lung, if you will, that patients could use as a bridge to lung transplant. And in that application, you need a device that does both oxygenation as well as carbon dioxide removal. So it's a device that operates at higher blood flows. So we got an NIH grant, I think, in 2013 to begin the research to develop that technology. In 2017, we received a grant to develop a similar type of technology, but for the pediatric patients as a bridge to lung transplant 
primarily for kids with cystic fibrosis. So when we started that project, my clinical collaborator indicated to me that this device could also have an application in the adult market. It would be a lot easier to commercialize the device in the end run because the pediatric population is small and in a lot of companies do not feel that there's sufficient financial motivation to get into that area. So at that point in time, we decided since we were working on an adult version and started working on a pediatric version of this wearable artificial lung, that we would essentially make them one device, but a device that was modular. In other words, it's basically a highly integrated blood pump gas exchange module. And so we decided to make a device that would use for the adult population and the pediatric population all the same components. The only difference would be that for the pediatric patients, you would swap out the gas exchange unit for a smaller one. So in that sense, we referred to it as a modular extracorporeal lung assist system and we referred to it as the Modellus. So having worked with A-Lung and continuing to work with A-Lung, I did realize that the huge patient populations are the ones that require CO2 removal. And we decided with funding from the Innovation Institute and from the Coulter Translational Research Partners Program in bioengineering, we received some funding to validate that this device could also serve as a low blood flow CO2 removal device. So that would essentially be one device that could address three different important patient populations. With that funding, we had already done bench studies indicating that it worked very well for CO2 removal at low blood flow rates. It was also efficient like the current hemolung device. So we did seven-day studies focused on demonstrating CO2 removal and reliability of the device over that time period. Those studies went very well, and at that point, the discussions with ALUNG became more serious about them licensing this technology platform. I'll let Pete add his perspective. You know, Bill touched on a very important point. Alung and Dr. Fetterspill's lab have remained in close contact and have collaborated over the 20 plus years since Alung has spun out of the University of Pittsburgh and the McGowan lab. And we've continuously watched the developments that Bill is working on. We're quite excited about the new Modellus device for a number of reasons. And primarily because it expands and broadens our addressable market, if you will, because we not only now get to treat very efficiently those patients that have carbon dioxide retention, but there are a number of patients in the population that we treat that sometimes develop the need for high levels of oxygenation as well. Currently, we can't address that market, but with the new Modellus device, we can treat a broad range of patients from those that have CO2 retention, and then go on to develop what we call refractory hypoxemia and have a high need for oxygen levels to be administered into the blood through an extracorporeal device. 
Prior to having Modellus, what we need to do if a patient develops a need for high levels of oxygen is you really then have to take them off of the current version of the hemolung and then use what's referred to as an ECMO system to administer those high levels of oxygenation. Once the Modellus is fully developed for commercial use, on one device, we will be able to treat that broad range of a patient that goes from CO2 retention all the way up to oxygen need. The only thing that would have to be changed, uh, of course, is the size of the catheter because to administer higher blood flows, you need a larger catheter with a larger internal pathway to deliver those high blood flows, which oxygenation is dependent upon. As I said, we're quite excited about this. Uh, We've begun the commercial development process. We're in the early stages of that but we fully intend to bring this to market in the next few years. Well, congratulations, both of you. So thank you, gentlemen, for joining us via Zoom audio for this interesting discussion. Congratulations to both of you on the advancement of science and the development of successful commercial clinical products. We welcome comments. You can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. Until we meet again, Thank you for listening.